This is Empires of the Future, looking at the church in a time of change. We uh, actually have a theme for today, uh, which is family, family obligations, traditions, uh, including some things that are happening and how they reflect on uh, what we deal with as a church uh, throughout the ages, throughout uh, our days here. And so my name is Jackson Van Dyke. I'm here with friend Matt Castro. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Did you have a good uh, good week? Yeah, it's been very good. Yeah? A little later in the week uh, here on Thursday than we usually get together, but it's okay. I like it. We uh, just got back from lunch at USI, and that yeah. was a good time. And uh, I understand you were just at a local place that's gaining some popularity around. Reed Street yeah. Barbecue? Yeah. I, uh, I'm a big fan of smoked meat of all kinds. <laughs> Me and, too. Uh, uh, and, uh, and being from Memphis, Tennessee, which is, I would argue, the... the the center of uh, of barbecue world, uh-huh. um, you know, you have a certain liking to some, some of this food, and uh, uh, I, so this place is pretty good. Like I'm a big favor of it. So uh, I've heard some people who don't like it, but I don't really know what their flavors and what their I mean, their palates go for. But I I'm very very satisfied with it. It's I went there good. for the first time this week too, and if you're unhappy with it, then I'm gonna be asking a lot of questions yeah. about what you expect of barbecue because yeah. it's, it's a pretty good barbecue place. Yeah, right. my my big things are: is the meat good? Is the sauces good? If yeah. you have bad sauces, I'm out. Right, because that's like yeah. again, that's kind of the heart of the meat of the of the of the barbecue world. Yeah. You have to have good meat, yeah. and you have to have good sauce. And mm-hmm. if you don't have good sauce. I think that's a that's a that's a bad thing. Yeah. So, um, and most Memphis barbecue places, the meat's good and the sauces are good. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you know, I don't. We have. I mean, we just started this podcast, so we don't have really fell into like some patterns or trends of what we do. But yeah. for someone like myself, and I know you do as well. You as well. You watch a lot of movies and TV shows. Anything you've watched over the last week that you just want to talk about? Or let's see, I. Recently, Not to get too much into this, but sure. I just, you know. I recently watched The Matrix again. The original Matrix. Yeah. yeah. How and, old um, is that, by the way? 97, 99? Yeah, it's 99. 99, I okay. So, yeah, we're looking to write around 20 years. And it holds up well. Um, yeah, sure. The Matrix, the biggest weakness is the sequels. Um, oh, yeah. Very uneven. Bad. The sequels they're are really bad. uneven. The first one, so much good mm-hmm. going on there. And um, I, I am... I am lowering my expectations for whatever they're going to do with this matrix that's going to come out, I guess, a little over a year from now. But there is there is so much interesting stuff in that first movie. And so, yeah, it's it's good. It holds up well. Yeah, and that's, a, that's such a world where you can go a lot of different directions yes. with that, that movie story, you know. Uh, and, uh, and since you don't have, like, a, a comic books or anything, I, I don't know. You don't, like, you're not tied to anything mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, I did get the opportunity to watch The Irishman. Okay. The movie, yeah, the Netflix movie, uh-huh. the Scorsese movie with De Niro, Pacino, uh, and, and Pesci. Joe, I haven't seen Joe Pesci in a movie in forever. Sure. And um, uh, it's it's a you know it's a movie about Jimmy Hoffa and his and his disappearance or murder based off a book called uh, you know. I heard you paint houses, which is a, I guess I learned as a mob phrase for killing people. Okay. Um, it's mentioned a few different times in the movie, but it's based off a book that was by that, that has that same title. And it's basically the theory that Jimmy Hoffa, who, if you don't know, disappeared in 1975, the union boss, uh, died in 1975. And he was, he disappeared in 75, but he was declared dead in 82. Because they couldn't find his body, right. and there was different theories on who killed him. So this particular theory is is that his 
one of his closest friends um, in the labor union world, who was his driver, was a known associate of the mob in Philadelphia, and he was um, he was basically ordered to uh, assassinate Jimmy Hoffa based off Hoffa's kind of uh, going rogue, I guess, mm-hmm. against his mob connections and um, and anyway, so they they had him whacked or killed and they basically incinerated his body. Yeah. You know, and hence why I couldn't find him. Um, but a lot, there was a lot, a lot of things that came out after the book was written that, uh, this, uh, particular individual who killed him, which is the movie's about basically admitted to this, this stuff later in his life hmm. before he died. And they basically, some people have come out when that book was published that, that wasn't true. Some people came out and said, you know, he wasn't the one that killed him. And, and so, so that, I guess the case is still open right. on where, who killed Jimmy Hoffa and where his body is. Right. And one of the random theories was that Hoffa was hidden under the uh, New York Giants football stadium. Oh, wow. And uh, they did some research and tried to find, I guess, FBI forensic type of experts, uh, weren't able to find any traces of human remains under the stadium and something. So, so the, 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 yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty big place. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big place. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> so, uh, I guess a few other places that have been theoried to be places where he has been buried, they have done investigations and cannot find any human remains. Wow. So, yeah. So interesting, you know, yeah. Uh, a little tale of well, 1960s, 1970s, politics and mobs and yeah so did you like the movie it's very long uh it's like three and a half hours long to me like three different kind of three different occasions Uh to finish the movie um but if you like history kind of you know history or theories on different historical events and if you're like me i I love underworld mob things and so like it definitely does point that kind of paint the picture that a lot of what happens in the world especially in like america there's a mob connection underneath the surface like they do kind of kind of somewhat connect with the uh bay of pigs fiasco the Mm -hmm. mob was involved in that trying to get back into cuba to build hotels and build casinos uh in cuba because they got pushed out when castro took over power Mm -hmm. um and so they're the ones that somewhat that they provided weapons for the uh uh for the rebels Mm -hmm as they were being traded in Miami. So, you know, it's interesting stuff. Like how much is the mob really involved in certain events? Like the JFK assassination, mm-hmm. you know, there's been thoughts that the mob had him, had him killed. Mm-hmm. You know, does the mob have that much power that can actually kill a sitting president? Right. And so, uh, the movie doesn't necessarily, uh, get to this in with, with a lot of depth, but the, there is a, there is a theory that Jimmy Hoffa was involved in JFK's assassination because of his connection with the mob and okay. hit and he hated JFK. Okay. Hoffa hated K, JFK and was very vocal and hated his brother, Robert. Okay. So anyways, all that's this stuff is, all that, right yeah, there's a lot going on in a three and a half hour movie. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a good movie to watch if you have three and a half hours and yeah. you like that kind of stuff. So anyways, right. so that's, that's kind of what I've been, uh watching when I'm not working or chasing kids and things like that or Very reading cool. newspaper Very articles cool. about other things going on. Yeah. So mm. this is a little different approach this week, but I, I think this is a pretty good way to do it. So you've read more about this, a uh, little bit that's going on with the Royal family. Yeah, huge news in Britain. Right. Huge. <laughs> but what's mm. neat about this is it gives us a good, 
kind of jumping off point, and it's a great example of uh, what a lot of us face in terms of what do we do with our families, and and, and yeah. they have to live this publicly. We all oh, get yeah. to do this some, with a lot more anonymity, mm-hmm. but it, it matters what yeah, we sure. do about family. Family matters to all of us. We're all trying to manage to put our lives together, integrate mm-hmm. our family to, to to whatever degree make people happy. So what is going on, first of all, with uh, them? Yeah, and, and, and I am no expert on the royal family mm-hmm. by any means, and uh, but... Uh, uh, and, and it's interesting. And I don't know the actual number, but it'd be interesting if you, you know, if you're listening or you have a phone or something, and you can Google how many Americans watched like Harry and Meghan's wedding, right? Or who watched William and Kate's right. wedding? Which, if you don't know who these two people are, uh, Harry is the younger brother of, or the younger son of Charles and Diane, which is Diana, and um, and then William. Is the oldest son, and he is second in the uh, second um, in succession to the throne behind his father Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry, because Harry is the second son, uh, and William and Kate, his wife, had already had a son, George. George is actually third in line to the throne, okay, and not okay. Harry. Right. Harry is, actually gets dropped a level right. after George is born, and so uh, that's an interesting little deal. And as as Americans, we're so like this is so foreign to us. Yeah. We you know, they have a prime minister in Britain who doesn't do anything ceremonial, sure. basically. We have a president who's basically prime minister and king or queen mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. So, um, and so it's like, you know, and we we eat up political drama in the United States. But think about having a, having a president or a family that simply just does ceremonial things. Yeah. Who just goes to like ceremonial events and wears... Fancy clothing and a, and, and, and a fancy head garb right. and showcases the, they, themselves and represents the country to the world and other people. Like we would just like go bonkers. Our kids would be far more put on a pedestal than, than the kids of presidents are. Right. So, uh, but uh, what's kind of going on right now is is that so Harry um, has married a an American woman. Mm-hmm. Meghan Merkel was a, and I don't honestly don't, knew very little about her before right. she got married to Harry, but she was an actress, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't even know if I've ever watched the show. I, don't I think she I was in, either. I heard like maybe White Collar, one of those kind of USA TNT type mm-hmm. shows, kind of cable shows. She's not like a big celebrity by any means, but um, she uh, and she had been divorced. Right. Um, and if you don't know much about your British royal family history, but um, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth's father, uh, George, was, uh, he was not the, uh, he actually uh, earned his throne because his brother, Edward, stepped down from the throne because he married a divorced American woman. Wow. Yeah, um, I was actually looking it up uh, here in this article and having a hard time uh, uh, finding it. But this is not new to this particular family of a one of the royal members marrying an American woman who had been divorced. Right. You know, so that's like that. At that time, uh, actually, he stepped down from the throne so that he can marry this American right. divorced woman. Woman, um, and so uh, so Harry has chosen to marry a, a divorced American woman. Right. And, and and not only is she a divorced American woman, but she's she's black. So it, it, when there's this kind of hope of the, the of that the royal family has has progressed, right? Is that there's diversity now being ushered into the royal family, 
And uh, but it didn't really take long for Meghan Merkel to kind of not enjoy the the royal family life. And I don't know how much you know about kind of what it looks like for them, but uh, they are required. It's their duty to basically represent the British people, right? And so they'll go to like ceremonial events in the nation of Britain, or even if they'll go travel and represent the royal family or represent the queen or represent the people of, 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 of Britain to other nations. Right. And so it's very, you're very much like, yeah, you wear fancy clothes and you have, you have, you live, you live in beautiful homes, but you are representing the people like you're duty bound. Right. And so before mm. any of our uh, very American listeners kind of go to stuff doesn't interest me, is it like the face of it doesn't interest me until somebody basically explained to me, okay, here's the deal though. For the British, they have a ready-made uh, example person, a, a, a person who is supposed to represent them, and, and not only represent, but somebody they can look up to mm-hmm. or in how we dress, how we behave, what kind of manners we should have, what sort of values we ought to uphold. And that that really figures in to why uh, Prince Harry and uh, his wife, Meghan, have decided to back off because mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And in our time, what is the value of somebody? Uh, and not only what is the value, but what what are, values are they trying to uphold as a signifier of who who is a British person and yeah. what what is proper right behavior? Right. What are, what are the right values? Uh, what, how should you dress? What what are the traditions that we mean to uphold? And for Americans, it's so strange because we would like to say two things simultaneously. One, I don't really look up to anybody, which is this lame American attitude that I'm I'm this individual doing everything, making it up myself. And anytime anybody tells me that, you can look at them and it's usually incredibly obvious who they do look up to and who they're trying to be like. Because if you aren't aware that you look up to certain people, well, then you are blatantly trying to dress like some celebrity or uh, like some... Instagram uh, model or something yeah, like uh, that, yeah. And so what we do in America is we have this whole host of people that we like to pick our own mm-hmm. uh, role models and heroes. And there's like... We, we have like a pantheon right, sure. uh, the, uh, of people that that we simultaneously would say, I have all these heroes, but I often don't even want to talk to them because I want to appear this to be this rootless individual making my own way. And it's so different that the British have this pre-made, pre-selected, these are the people that we look up to, yeah. which makes their society a lot more straightforward yeah. and less of the madness that we have mm-hmm. where uh, you don't know who who is looking up to who. Mm-hmm. And so um, they, this is very... Uh, interesting to see this young couple who's kind of going you know look we don't want we don't want anything to do with this um and i i look at them and i I don't know what it would be like to be in their situation because it is a rootless age it's a time where people just kind of go i'm not like anybody and they are they just don't want to admit it yeah and for them to live in this british society that supposedly does look up to royals and I don't, frankly, have any idea if the average British person does still look up to. Yeah, yeah, there are some interesting. I've the only reason I know this is because I've read about it for particular reasons, and it's it, it, you know there was a time that the royal, like the queen and the monarch, was somewhat looked at with disdain when Princess Diana died, mm-hmm. because they felt like the queen showed very little 
emotion and remorse during that event. She, it, and of course, I mean, Queen Elizabeth, her her father, if you've ever seen the movie King's Speech, which is a fantastic movie, he was a man who was king during World War II, right. you know? And um, she, comes from a, she comes from a time and place that you weren't supposed to show emotion a lot of them. You were supposed to show sternness and, and, and strength. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what she was. And, and her first prime minister when she was queen was William Churchill. That's her Winston, first prime. Winston yeah. Winston. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Winston Churchill was her first prime. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, you're, what, yeah. Do you, what do you expect? Seems um, so, like a long time ago. Yeah, it seems like a long time. But <laughs> after, I think after that, that, that event, um, from what I've read that, Polls show that the queen has a lot of support. People uh, continue to uh, respect her. And I think, you know, we would think that, you know, uh, that you would come to a point in history where, it, you know, she would be, she, she would be seen as, oh, it's, 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 uh, it's not, uh, it's not something that is important. It, that, what value does she bring? What value does the monarch bring? Um, does it help normal people? But stats show that people really do love the monarch and right. support it and think it's good for them as a, as a nation. Mm -hmm. Hence why people, when one of the royal family members gets married, it's a huge event, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's one of the biggest events, you know, of the decade, you know. Um, and so I think um, it's interesting, though, that, you know, there's a sense where I, I think there's a sense where in America we think, we are um, somewhat. Oh, we're too good for a monarch. We're too, we have a we have a president that we elect, and that we and the people have power, right? And they see the monarch, or they see like the Queen of England as someone who has like power, not by vote or by creed, but not, not by like that people voted, for, not, by, not by the will of the people, right. but they have power by blood. Yeah, and they see that as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. But um, to Britain, I think they see it as you know. They have they have an institution that represents them, and they're proud of it. There's a yeah. proudness that comes to it, and I think the from what I've read and seen is that the family uh, recognizes this responsibility. They have yeah. a responsibility. Right. It's not like it's not a necessarily they're they're it's not like a privileged position where yeah. they can do whatever they want. But, they are really um, they feel a sense of responsibility. And uh, that they are, are and, and there is a sense where they are, they are there by the decree of God. God, mm -hmm. and they represent that. So there's a there's a weight, yep. almost more than the president of the United States right. in our country. There's a there's more of a weight yep. to what you see in Britain with the monarch. And so I think this with with Harry and Meghan, there's a rejection of that responsibility. I mean, that's really what's going on. Yep. That they they feel. Like they don't have enough independence and autonomy, um, being basically ordered or ordered to do certain things. Yeah. They're not allowed to do what they want and make the decisions that they think is right for them, and so they're going to leave. and And basically, um, I know they had a, a big meeting. It's like Elizabeth and, and William and Harry and Charles. They had this this meeting about what they were going to do, and I and I believe they're they're going to lose the royal titles. Like they're they're basically giving up their titles so they can basically be independent mm -hmm. and have this sense of freedom that I guess they feel that they lack. Yeah. So is it true then, the only way I can make sense out of um, where this sense of responsibility had come from, and I think you uh, uh, 
mentioned and alluded to a part of it is that um, this started from a Christian idea that basically if you are given gifts, if you if you are given a position, mm-hmm. it's not for your own ends. It is for the good of the people and under the uh, ruling of God, that God gave it to you so that you can serve the people. Because this yeah. is reminding me, uh, I'm still tracking on uh, this podcast presidential that we talked about last week. And there was this idea among a lot of the founders yeah. uh, that was passed on. I can remember John Adams and John Quincy Adams. This is part of their story that right. you, the gifts that you have received are not for you. Right. You have a duty to serve the people. And it's not just the Adams. This is a, a common idea uh, that that is floated uh, through families that have had uh, responsibility to rule that it was it was given to them by God. Yeah, and it's the only it's the only way that I, I, this idea can make sense as far as the origin of it. Right, because um, I, I think about in in our society in American society, like this idea came to me from reading a Spider Man comic. With great power comes great responsibility. responsibility sure. Otherwise, there was no connection between power and responsibility right. that I had ever seen in my life. Uh, but again, as Americans, we're so different in terms of how we see the world yep. and this is an old world kind of thing that, it is. that this family has had this responsibility and it's a major milestone for a family member uh, to go, listen, I'm out. I yeah. don't want it. I don't want it. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I am going to uh, experiment here and take an attempt to just leave it behind sure. as much as I can. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. I think maybe Americans will respond to this event as, you know, you, you do what you do. It's best for you. But I think if you're British, I would think you would see a sense of like rejecting the duty yeah. and the responsibility that comes yeah. with it. Um, and so, and, and I, you know, I always, I always, it's always interesting when the when the British monarch becomes kind of like and there's an important event that's happened, either it be positive or negative, and it becomes something that Americans talk about mm-hmm. because we are so distant from the sense of a person having this power and this representation and this responsibility yeah. that they get labeled a king or queen we are so and they busy. rule a kingdom uh-huh. and and I know the British Empire has has significantly contracted during Elizabeth's reign but you know, at one time I mean when she first was queen actually right even before she was queen when she first got married um, that she, her and her husband had to go and tour. The empire, right. and they went to Egypt, and they went to parts of Africa, mm-hmm. and they went to parts of Asia, and they went to all over these places, and and she was their queen, and then so like that image of an empire, that she was a queen of a very diverse group of people, mm-hmm. and they all looked to her, as their as the leader of their of their of the realm, right. And as Americans, we don't think in those terminologies. Even it's even weird going to the Bible, but who uses that terminology right. quite frequently? Right. Even calls Jesus King, yeah. and that he is a ruler of a kingdom. Right. Um, I mean, he's King of Kings. So yeah, he's the he, king. Yeah, he he does have uh, kind of sub commanders. He, yeah, he, he he has leaders, but yeah. he is the leader of he's leaders. The leader of leaders. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and so that it shows one that. There's got to be something more here than just oh well, individualism is the end of all history. There's just uh, yeah, atomized people just Absolutely. making their own way. Uh, because I mean, you're talking about this, and it just uh, occurred to me too that this is so foreign to us because it's so foreign for Americans to think about family, yep, history, yep. and family obligations being absolute. That's absolute, like no, this yeah. is the ruling family, right? 
And those family connections, not only are they fundamentally important, that is how we determine yeah. who is the next in line for everyone. We look at family as such a malleable thing, and it's not. Yeah, uh, We don't yet just have this absolute control over when our families get started and where we go and what we do yeah. and what, how much those connections will matter. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting about, again, it, 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 you know, when Queen Elizabeth's sister, Margaret, who's not alive, she passed away, I want to say like, I don't know, the early 2000s, maybe the 90s, she passed away, and, and she was her younger sister, and far more like, she, it was known that she enjoyed drinking and dancing, like that was kind of her thing, where Elizabeth mm -hmm. is very more stern and, and very more disciplined and understood duty and responsibility far more. And um, she, for her to get married, she had to ask for permission mm -hmm. to her sister, yeah, yeah. who was, right. she was the queen, right? Mm -hmm. And every decision that each member made affected the queen, which then affected the entire country. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing Harry and Meghan making decisions that they think are just, they're just making independent right. decisions that affect them, but it doesn't affect them. Mm -hmm. it, affects, it affects the queen, which therefore affects the entire country at large. Right. Um, and, um, and so I think that's why this, is it, if it's even interesting while this is going on, William and Kate, um, William is Harry's older brother, they, they understand, cause, uh, if you don't know, Kate is, does not come from royalty. Right. She's a commoner. Right. Um, but she understood quite quickly what her duty was. And, um, um, <laughs> we Americans are of a different sort. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the part that I think is a far more interesting one. It's not, oh, Hagen, Harry and Mary wanted to move out. To Can I think it's the American element yes. that's involved here. Yeah. Um, that the, the American doesn't feel comfortable mm -hmm. in this world of responsibility and duty. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry, which is so fascinating about Harry, Harry was in the mil British military. Right. Like he was an officer, I believe in the yeah. British military. And um, I basically carved out an identity th through that service. So he, mm -hmm. he gets service and responsibility, right. but his choice of marrying Megan, um, which the, at, at the moment when it happened, the thought was, oh, look at the royal family. Look at the diversity it's being. It, it's becoming more progressive. Mm -hmm. But yet now we've come to a point where Megan and, and Harry are making a decision that's not. We're not thinking what's best for the whole. They're thinking what's best for them mm -hmm. as individuals. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if are we coming to. And I think you made a good point. The end all, end all is not. Is that just vast individualism? Mm -hmm. And is it modern and progressive for people to make individual decisions where they're trying to find what they're. They're 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 basically saying freedom and autonomy is more important than responsibility and sacrifice and duty. Right. Is that a positive evolution or, you know? Well, and so... Uh, to, to Is that the definition of progressivism or modernism? Right. You know, and, that's, and that's kind of the question. To, to ground this, you know, personally, it's... Um, I did not realize for my own life what it would mean for me to have moved uh, to another state. Uh, and, you know, it's an hour and a half. Uh, but what that does, to be an hour and a half from... Uh, my mom uh, and my dad and from my wife's parents and her extended family is that my kids are growing up in a fundamentally different atmosphere than I did. Absolutely. I grew up with certainly my mom's 
mother, my, my maternal grandmother was just, she's the second most important influence in my life, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. My mom is, is the first. Uh, my parents uh, were divorced from when I was very young, five. Um, and the second most important influence in my life is, it was, uh, what called her mamma. Mm. Miss her every day. Yeah. And to look now, and this is, this is my own short-sightedness, that until I had kids, I didn't even think about the fact that none of their grandparents can be in their life every day mm-hmm. and how just drastically that will make their life look different than mine if this continues mm-hmm. uh, in this way. And uh, it is it is a loss for my boys that they don't know of. And, and this is just one of many, many uh, things that this story reminds me about when you when you take family for granted mm-hmm. and then uh, and then just kind of it is so American to just go, well, I hope that that'll all get packaged in there somehow. Yeah, to, sure. to just have this positive idea that hopefully it'll all come together somehow when uh, certainly uh, one thing I can take away from when we're talking about responsibilities and duties, if there is a loss in my boy's life. It's on me for making the decision to come here and to uproot myself and uh, and our family because we make decisions that affect people in our lives, and and that is that is what it is uh, that you carry with you the responsibility uh, of those decisions, and uh, and so at the end of the day, one thing I look at this situation and I kind of go. Wow, we all are doing this too. We 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 have family backgrounds. Uh, we don't often think about how they have affected us, and we make decisions that will affect our kids and future generations without a whole lot of thought. Because it is, uh, I think, just as it is pretty American to put duty and responsibility in the back seat, it's pretty American to put family. Uh, it, 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 as a whole in the backseat of your life and just kind of hope that it comes along uh, as well. So I can imagine uh, some of, uh, even though obviously I don't know her and know very little about her, and uh, I can imagine a little bit of uh, Meghan Markle's mindset. In, in, in This is what we do as Americans. We we don't understand. We don't think too much about yeah. uh, the, the role that our family has played in our life to help us become who we are. Mm-hmm. And where that's all going to uh, go, uh, and what's going to happen with that as we go forward, and we have yeah. kids and uh, and all of that. Yeah, there's 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 a, there's a I can't I can't remember the author of the article, and I can't remember the title of the article, but um, it was it was on Gospel Coalition, and it was discussing the issue of 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 home, and we're and basically talking about in our transient world where. You know, even taking this issue, you know, you take this issue and you put it in 19th century Britain, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. No way is the the wife of one of the royal families right. going to cause them to move across the pond to Canada. Like, that's just the options. There's no, there's no planes. It, it's just that world, it would never have happened this way, right? Um, but we live in a world where it's so easy to pick up and go and to move and, and, and to find, you know, find another place to, to live and, and to make your home. 
But we think of home as only perfectly like, well, I'm living in a in a place and I work in a place. But there's so much more to home. And the author was writing about the article was like, you know, I think in our role today, we really struggle to define where do where is home. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, it's Southern Illinois. That's where you're from. You, right. you just kind of talked about that. You know, if you know me at all, I'm going to talk a lot about Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's where I'm, I, I lived a lot of my life, where my, my wife it's lived most of her life. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense where, and my kids, it's so funny that they've never, they've never lived in Tennessee. Right. But yet to them, they're going, oh, we're going to Tennessee. Like there's, it's like this place right. that we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. They live in Indiana. Right. But they recognize that their grandparents live in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They recognize that their parents went to school in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that all too much. But they realize that when we go on vacation, often we go to Tennessee. There is mm-hmm. a sense where to them, they may not associate it with with the, some of these bigger ideas. But there's a sense where that's probably where we probably feel the most comfortable because it's how we define home. But right. because of certain circumstances and decisions, we live in a different state. Right. We don't live around our family. Yeah. Um, and our kids don't you know, don't live around their cousins, and they don't live around their aunts and uncles, and they don't right. live around their grandparents. And that is an impactful thing yeah. in a very significant way. And I don't I don't know if I don't know if that is a trend that will change, if we will eventually kind of move to a point where like transientness is led to very uh it's just led to a lot of like i don't know where i'm from right and when you don't feel comfortable where you live i don't know if you call that home right home seems like the the definition of a home is like a shalom a sense of peace and a Mm -hmm. sense of of security um and israel Valley felt that you know when they the promised land was home right Mm -hmm. sense of protection and security and so um I, i think it is an issue that isn't really talked about at a high level, um, but I did think it is an issue that um, as people, more people move into urban cities and leave their families, you know, their families where they come from in these rural towns or yeah. wherever these places are, people are really going to struggle with this identity right. issue yeah. because they're just where they grew up and who they lived around to find who they are, and if they live. If they pick up and leave in these these areas that have no they have no roots in, it's hard it's hard to it's even hard for your kids to really feel like they're in a, in a, in a home, right. you know. So yeah, I think it's a it's just, I don't know maybe this will, will cause a stir with people to go, you know, is making more money and getting more promotion worth living in these urban massive cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and where there's just no, like, there's no um, definition of home. Right. It's just so lacking and stuff. So yeah, and it, two things to tie this back together. Like one of kind of my life philosophies is that you got to embrace the tension that's in your life. That mm-hmm. that you should not behave as if um, the stressors that you would be better off if they were gone. So for instance, in this situation, one of the things that is just kind of a uh, a a goal that's at mid-level in my life. You can't make it the top just because you can't control other people's lives, but a mid-level goal that is there for uh, my family as well as my wife's family is that we move them here or that somehow we end up uh, closer together. Mm-hmm. I've seen uh, through uh, being at First Southern, a lot of families I've been really impressed with when uh, their parents or grandparents get older, they at least make the effort to move that family member into their home. Sure. Before you go for what I would call the nuclear option, which is put them in a nursing home. It's um, 
there's a lot that happens in that situation. I know that it is a thing that has to be done, given yeah. dependent on circumstances. But I can tell you that I appreciate every family that at least makes the attempt to have that family member living with them in the home. Um, that's huge, and and I think that's a good tension to have in your life to just yeah. go. I want that because I can tell you for me that this is the second thing that um, to. to tie back in a previous part of this conversation about uh, being honest about who your heroes are is my advice just about rather than acting as if you don't have people you look up to I can tell you that uh, there is there's a fierceness about uh, my grandmother loved with a fierce sort of attitude she was a fighter mm. and she taught me that love is tenderness but it is also you fight for the people that you care about and I sure. got that I can see that in my my aunt and in my mother um, and uh, there's an intensity uh, that that carries on, and so that my grandmother is one of the heroes in my life that I look up to, as well as uh, my cousin Brad. But then also uh, these unrealistic heroes that we have. It's totally fine to have heroes that you've never met. For me, like a Rich Mullins or a C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then I also try to tie in uh, pastors that have been sure. amazing to me, like Glenn Flowers, yeah. Jerry Ford. And this is, I think, the answer that we all are open with each other about who we do look up to and that I am a person who is a long line and a whole lot of other people. And that's, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, we, nobody, the strangest thing about this is that I think it is uniquely pretty American to even buy this idea that you are quote self-made. Yeah, sure. That isn't, that's not a thing, yeah. but we're kind of the people that made up this, yeah. idea right and that doesn't happen yeah and it's just so funny because even if you wanted even if you wanted to say there was some genesis moment of this there isn't really i mean the founding fathers were not self-made men jefferson was was wealthy before right. Right. he was the writer of the declaration of independence right. uh you know george washington had a military career before the revolutionary war right um, and, um, a lot of the others, like they had, they came from wealth or they right. came from money or they came from intellectual families. Like even John Adams and, and Abigail, they were both well-educated. Right. Both went to Harvard or I know John went to Harvard, yep. you know? So it's not like these were like simple farmers who happened to cause a revolution. It's just not what happened right you know you you have some characters there there's alexander there's hamilton alexander hamilton you know he's popular i saw his show great by the way if you have a chance to go see it it's worth however much money you have to spend but uh, he was somewhat of a self-made man i sure. get that but he was one of the rarities right andrew jackson as well this guy went through some stuff he didn't have a whole lot of help in his life but this is um this is not that common and in fact most of the stories that you hear are made up stories about these sorts of things. And even then, uh, when, when these people, say uh, Andrew Jackson takes on a regiment, well, those people listen to him. So, I mean, th there are always people that are around you that make, help to make you oh, successful. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And I am all about people working as hard as they can. Yeah, sure. But this is not a productive or helpful story to just be like no i i did this all myself that's just that's just a lie and and i think that we americans tend to buy it because we want it we like it yeah it, it sounds great yeah and um that's a that's just another level of hubris that yeah. as you look back in history there have always been impressive people and that's totally fine but uh 
the next level that I think we've come upon is like, yeah, you know what would be great if, if man, I mean, this is in some ways probably our obsession with superheroes because look at them, you know, yeah. they're doing it all on their own, just yeah. like me, just yeah. like I'm doing my life all on my own, and it's like that's just not the case. Yeah, if you're interested in this this topic, uh, I would encourage you to read um, Malcolm Gladwell's book on I think it's called Outliers. He talks about some of these these some of these major figures, uh, not kind of in history and stuff, but. He talks about it's not necessarily even like are right, you have certain people in your life that are helpful. It's all about timing. You know, he talks about um, he talks about the Beatles. He said the reason why the Beatles became so great is because they happened to number one be in, in the same town. Yeah. Which that's you know remarkable. Mm-hmm. The second thing is is that they happened to be able to get gigs at this particular club yeah. and were able to play and play and play and play and play and and were able to kind of create this creative fusion that yeah. they were able to do over based off because they had particular people that were able to be helpful to them when they needed it and they were they were at the right place at the right time right. and so um the, yeah this idea of like i'm gonna go out and set my own course is just so it's just so anti-historical mm-hmm. and it's also just not uh reality and uh uh, and, and, it, and, it, and it seems like people who claim this are ones who already sit in a simple level of prosperity. Right. So they already have this huge foundation of wealth and, and status. Then they make these claims, or I'm going to go off and make myself. It's like, right. well, because you're already something. Right. You know? so it's, right. it's, it's almost there's no risk right. in a sense. And so almost like even this issue with Harry and, and Meghan, you know, they're able to even claim some of these things because – Number one, they're still going to be paid by the royal family mm-hmm. to an extended point, and they have options, right. you know, so they can go and, right. you know, and do whatever their hearts desires, right. you know. So, well, before we leave this behind, tell me a few of your heroes, and uh, and yeah. I know one one thing about it. I know we all have a lot, and so sure. it's not as if you have to have them ranked ahead. Oh, of time, sure, just a sure, few, sure, it would be. Um, yeah. So as a kid, man, I was such. And this is, you know, boys who play sports, man. So a lot of them are sports related. So sure. I ran track in, in, in when I was a kid and was pretty good at it. And I, um, I, I really, and, and I never met him. I know you had a few you never met, but Eric Little, the Scottish runner, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. who was a missionary in China, was my and, hero. Uh, okay, and uh, from Chariots the movie, of Fire, Chariots of Fire, yeah, was my hero. Um, and still to this day, would look to him. Uh, as like, yeah, very much inspiration. Cool. Uh, and that, so that's a really, I mean, that's, I don't know a lot of flaws that Eric Little had. So yeah, yeah but so he, he was just someone I looked up to at a particular time in my life. Uh, Peyton Manning, I know that sounds silly, but you know, you, again, for a lot of boys who grew up in Tennessee, during when I was in middle school, uh-huh. Peyton Manning was the, I mean, he was the the definition of the, all-American male, male yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, he played sports. He he succeeded. He was smart. Yeah. He was polite. He was uh, modest. Yeah. All humble. Like, right. If your mom could write like a – it could describe the, 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 the type of man they wanted their sons, they would go to Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Like, you just – you know that was for maybe for like kids a little bit older, a little bit younger. It was T- Tim Tebow maybe, but sure. for us in Tennessee, it was it was Peyton Manning, and still kind of looked to him as somewhat of a, of a hero. Um, 
I would say I would say like you know um, you know politically you know some of you know, reading about George Washington and, and some of the things that he stood for just right. so so helpful as a leader yeah. you know um, a man who understood his place and was willing yeah. to you want to talk about like a role player man a guy who just went look here's what's most important that I don't make waves and yeah. I make this thing look respectable yeah. and then leave yeah oh man um, that you know again going back to the show Hamilton. You know, it's so fascinating about like about great leaders. You can take, you can go show about Hamilton. It's called Hamilton. It's about Alexander Hamilton, and the most prominent, powerful character in that show is George Washington. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's because, and it's not because he was president and he was general, but because of his 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 deep character mm-hmm. and integrity that you just put the person in a show. Mm-hmm. And it just he just takes over, mm-hmm. you know. He's such a powerful, a powerful figure. There's certain characteristics about him. And, and I know this for some people who maybe hated his guts, you know. I still think George W. Bush is. is there, I, I get some of his politics. Maybe you disagree with. Maybe you disagree with the Iraq War, but um, he and, and there's people. It's so interesting. Like even you know Ellen. DeGeneres like went to a football game with George W. Bush like right. last year to a couple games and got so much flack sure. about it. And she basically said, "Well, he's one of my friends. I mean, I don't agree with everything he says, sure. but we're friends." He's and you can tell if Ellen DeGeneres, mm-hmm. who's fairly progressive and liberal and, mm-hmm. and is is gay and is married sure. her her gay partner, if if George, if she can love and respect George W. Bush, who has totally different politics, yes. you can tell something about him as a person mm-hmm. that. His enemies respect and honored him, yeah. and I think that is something quite profound. That I, you know, he, for me, he was the first president I ever voted for. He was the first president I gave money to, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that will always be instrumental to me, especially if you know me and you know, and I I I, I, I actually decided to be a poli sci major because of the two thousand election. Sure, because I, that moment was and that and then oh, of course. 9-11 mm-hmm. was such sure. a prominent uh, event in my mm-hmm. life growing up, you know. So, um, and I could probably mention far more um, just heroes. And, you know, when it comes to ministry, really, like, going back to, to Eric, and there's always those little heroes, people that don't know who those people are, mm-hmm. that are, make, they're profound and impactful people. Mm-hmm. They've never written a book. Mm-hmm. And no one will remember their names, but they they, had, they shaped your life in a, in a powerful way. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's really good. I uh, feel the same way about uh, certain uh, presidential figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ronald Reagan. Sure. Look, it's a, it's the same idea. You don't have to agree with every one of his policies, but one thing that I really hope comes back, and and it, it cannot come too soon, is an understanding that. Whoever you are, this is a cliche now, but there is a dignity to the office. Yeah. And you need to have a standard of behavior and composure because you are a part of something bigger than yourself that will continue on even if this is your last day. And that is uh, presently. I mean, that is just the thing that Donald Trump receives the most criticism for and the thing that he deserves the most criticism for is seems to have no understanding that. He is a part of something bigger. Yeah. And uh, and Ronald Reagan, without a doubt, understood yeah. that 
you need to compose yourself, as did Jimmy Carter, even somebody who yeah, could be it, considered it, not a great president like Jimmy Carter. Yeah. These, these, these men came from a time when, my goodness, I, they listened to the people who told them, like, now listen, there's a dignity to this office. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there's a, there's a place where Democrats probably don't admit this in public, but there's a lot of similarities between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. When it comes and it come, when it comes to just certain actions of just just, just of just disrespect for the office. Right. The issue with President Clinton, sure, having an affair with, against his wife is bad. Sleeping with an intern is bad. Um, lying about it is bad. But I think the bigger issue was just he did all those things, knowing what role and position he had, and did it anyways. Yeah. And I think that you know. I, I'm gonna guess he wasn't the first president right. to have an affair with his wife while sitting. In, I, I, I get you don't that. Even have to guess about that. Yeah, yes. I, I get that. Um, but I think that is a is a huge issue of just basically I want to do what I want, and I'm you know I like to have sex with, with women, and and just because I'm president doesn't gonna stop yeah. me from what I'm gonna do. I, I that's just I think that's a problem. And I think Elizabeth, as a queen, is a great representation of leadership. That she she understands that she doesn't get to do whatever she wants. Yeah. She has to. She's duty bound. Yeah. And I think even like in one of the issues, I think why and I know that some people love Mark Driscoll as a pastor. One of my issues with Mark Driscoll is I think there's an issue of disrespect of being a pastor. Mm-hmm. There's certain words you can't use. Yeah. There's certain things you shouldn't. Um, talk about with certain language because it's disrespectful to what it means to be a pastor and be in pastoral ministry and having that leadership and responsibility which is still duty bound or sacrifice Um, this is not your pulpit to be able to say whatever you want Um, that no matter where we are limited in what we say because we speak the word of god we don't just speak our opinions Um, and so i think that um, i think there's a lot of applications um, in life when it comes to like what is your duty and responsibility in this situation what role do you have and what limits do you have because right. of that that role and i think uh, what we are working out like most all the people i know right now uh, are trying to work out what do we do with the fact that i can make my innermost thoughts available uh, in many ways, to as many people as I kind of see fit through uh, social media and other yeah, means, absolutely. we have all these communication uh, methods. Uh, should I do that? What What is that for? Uh, and, and and the thing you know about British people, for instance, it, I remember in in reading a lot of C.S. Lewis's writings that British people look um, very tightly knit and strung up really tight, even to Irish and people who surround Britain. That that is that is a characteristic characteristic of the British people, and there is a certain philosophy that exists in 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 this kind of people that which is basically you show your innermost emotions to the people that are really close to you. Otherwise, Absolutely. put on a face. Yeah, and you you should just really speak and use your words to explain yourself to the average. Uh, person in public and what we are working out now uh, in, in living the ways that we live in integration technology and all the things is okay if we're not going to do that what are we going to do and it right now it's still just the wild wild west there yeah. are no rules there's no rules and there have to be some rules have to be coming yeah uh, because this is chaos and you're right. seeing right now how much it's chaos because there will be some story every week of 
some faux pas or some major rule that gets broken. It's unwritten. And, and it's just, <laughs> they, they call in. Yeah. You know, the, it's like. The uh, his if squad. You, if you ever, anybody who knows Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, Worf has to walk through this whole group of other Klingons uh, who are going to just jab him with electric, uh, with cattle prods, basically. And that's what we do right now. We don't know. This is our only kind of. Yeah. Uh, way of disciplining yeah, people is yeah, we yeah. just beat them up yeah. and, is when, and, and about a week is what you get yeah. because we'll probably find somebody else next week yeah. but man if you find yourself on the wrong end of breaking some social rule that is really fluid right now but sorry for you yeah. if you didn't realize yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's just where we and that's, that's, where we that's are. I, I pray and I hope that this is not the way it is in 10 years because this is ridiculous There yeah. there's no means for redemption no there's no means for redemption there's, there's only the Sorry, pal. You're done, and we're gonna beat you up, and then we're gonna leave you. I mean, this is you want to talk about like this is like a good Samaritan type story. Like this person's on the side of the street, and you better everybody just look forward and walk on by because yeah. we have nothing to do with that person now. Yeah, they're absolutely. done. Yeah, they're done. And listen, I mean, we are the people as Christians who say, "There's grace. Listen, there's yeah. grace. Yeah. Sins, sins can be forgiven. Yeah, uh, there's somebody yeah. who took the punishment. Yeah, for sins. Yeah." What, what heinous sins, horrible sins. Yeah, those two. Yeah, those two. I, I know. I believe me. It sickens yeah. me too. A lot of the yeah. stuff that I see done, I go, yes, I get it. Yeah, there's an interesting and uh, uh, again, want to pipe the Irishman again. Um, uh, at the end of the movie, um, the character uh, Frank, uh, played by Robert De Niro, is is like is basically in a nursing home. Is you know fairly old. His wife has passed away. One of his children won't talk to him because she identifies him as someone who's killed people and she wants something to do with them. And he's talking to a Catholic priest about forgiveness and he's confessing murders. Yeah. You know, like yeah. legitimately murders that he was ordered to do. It's not like he was yeah. like, I hate this person and I'm killing them, but I was ordered mm-hmm. by the mob boss and, and took, and I'm not saying, you know, it's okay to kill people because your mob boss tells you to, but you know, it, it's interesting. He recognized that he did something wrong right. and asked for forgiveness. Yeah. And there is a moment the priest says, your sins are forgiven, right. you know, like, because the gospel saves you from if you were, you know, a mob a mob hitman and you kill people and you recognize that, yeah, that was evil and wrong. Right. Christ is sufficient for that. He's he forgives you for that sin. So, yeah, I, I think it is an interesting world of of like, uh, you know, there's 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 consequences for your actions, but there is no redemption. Right. Don't ask for it. You're not gonna get it. That's right. Um, and, um, and we're and, in a really primitive moral state right now. I mean, yeah, we, we, really we are, are really in, in some sort of like base tribal paganism where yeah. it's just kind of like every once in a while we decide that somebody is really bad. We drag them in. We all go, hey, don't we all agree that this person's really yeah. bad and that we're about to do something really bad to them? Yeah, yeah, we do. Okay, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. And then we, we don't kill them physically, but socially, you basically kill them. They're done. And then they are a leper. Yeah. Left to no, not interact in any sort of um, in in any sort of way uh, that is you know you need to be done off of social media whatever channels you had gotten in before once you out of those yeah. you, you don't we don't have anything to do with you anymore uh, yeah we, I hope this progresses and that we we at least begin to explore and, and see for for in in clear ways what what we are doing um, because I don't. Right now, all that I ever see done is 
You run somebody through, throw them to the side, and looks for the next person. Yeah. That is a week-to-week. You can predict it. I mean, it's so awful. You can predict it now because there are politicians who are still in office because their week came. They managed to survive the week hoping that somebody else would do something really dumb, and some of them got their wish. Yeah. And then the mob moved on, Yeah. and they kind of went, I never even had to say I was particularly sorry. Yeah. I just kind of like went and hid. Yeah. And you all are predictable. Yeah, this is this is not justice. Yeah, this is this is I mean, this is mob justice yeah. I mean, it, it, and not mob like you've been talking about, but just uh, crazed mob justice. Yeah. And man, I hope that we get beyond it just because there's a there's there are better places <laughs> that yeah. we can get to. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, we probably need to wrap this up and, uh, uh, you know, but an interesting thing I kind of conclude with is that. I just, you know, I know that you don't really get into Oscar nominations and stuff too much, but um, the like the the movie that'll probably win the most Academy Awards in a few weeks is The Joker. Right, a, a movie right. about a basically immensely disturbed psychopath. Yeah, who life is a joke and 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 this idea that it, which I've not seen the movie, but I hear it's extremely dark, extremely violent. Yep. It's weird. We live in a culture that, based off all the things you just said, while at the same time, people are, uh, let's just call it, like, obsessed or craving a, a movie that's, it's not, that just, there's no good guy. It's about a villain. Yep. And it's about, a, and the whole, it's about a, an origin story of a villain. And do people sympathize with it? Like, what is... What is the obsession with the, it? It made I don't know how much money it made I'm close to a billion dollars. I made like all this money. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be nominated for all these awards. Therefore, it's being somewhat honored and promoted. And yeah. it's it's just it's interesting. Like you know, yeah, it's a big problem. It's, it's a big yeah. It's um because it, no matter how you slice it, there is a fasc- fascination with madness and evil. Mm-hmm. And how are these things related? Uh, I, I will now say to uh, a college student or a young person that when we're talking about just uh, just evil things that happen, we tend to say when a, a mass shooting happens, oh, wow, that's just crazy. It's like, no, it's not crazy. It's evil. It, it, and, and we're all capable of it. And that's what's so strange about it is we have all managed to convince ourselves basically that we're not capable of too much evil. Uh, and I think our, there's a part of us that kind of goes – Wait a second, you yeah, know? yeah. And so then you watch this movie, and you kind of go, "Wow, this guy! I can see all the steps. Having seen the Joker, I can see all the steps of how he just succumbs to evil." And you are fascinated because you're like, "I don't know. Could that happen to me?" Uh, yes, it could. But then there's a part of you that disbelieves that. I probably couldn't happen to me. Um, and so I do think what is so sad is that we're so self-obsessed that we are completely fascinated by any track that we could take in life, and that this is a track that nobody's exactly done before to say. Here is, here is step by step the descent into evil and madness, yeah. and and he is played as a sympathetic character, um, which here's one thing strange about that. I like movies where you can go listen. Evil is nuanced because it is evil inside of each of us will convince us that it's not nearly as evil as it is, and so that's fine too. My biggest problem with the movie is to come to the end of it and to kind of go. Well, sometimes evil wins and, you know, what can you do? Yeah. And, and, and 
that is not why we have been given stories. We all know that horrible things happen. Uh, you can tune into your news every night and find that, look, short stories of evil happen all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the reason that we will go to movies where the good guys win is there are hints and there there is, uh, from behind the bushes, there is a shaking that tells us, what if what if the good guys could win in the end? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a voice that's, that's worth listening to. It's just that we're at a non-moment where people are kind of going, well, you know, but who knows? What if it's just all meaningless and nothingness? Well, despair's out there. I think we know that. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is a strange moment when the Joker is uh, the most popular movie of the year. Yeah, it does create a sense we're in this culture, a season of, of extreme pessimism. And uh, we see pessimism in Washington. We see pessimism coming out of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. We see pessimism coming out of news, 24-hour news. Most even, and I'm a, I know you don't watch as much sports as I do, but even news, sports, there's a more focus on the negative, yep. you know, um, you know, OJ Simpson or whatever yeah. the the character of the of the year, the character of the of the of the week. It's mostly let's see, let's show you how bad this is. Right. You know, there's a sense where, and I think you see it in people. Like there's more more people that I talk to. There's a there's a level of pessimism reigns supreme you yeah. know if it will go wrong it will go wrong right and, and there's no hope that it will go right or right. good yeah. we are participating all of us in an experiment of what happens when an entire enormous group of people just lives off cynicism yeah off of the expectation it'll probably go wrong it'll probably go listen wrong. you would be stupid if you just kept your hopes up yeah yeah because yeah. you're a fool it'll probably go wrong and you're a fool. And wow, are we going to find out where that road is going? Because we're just on it. I mean, that's yeah. cynicism. It, it is considered uh, wise. I mean, just frankly, it's, it is considered wise to be cynical. Yeah, right now. I think that's a good, and, put, a good way and, to put it. Yeah, and that has not been the case in America. First of all, no, I mean, that was not the case. No, for a long, 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 long time. And, I mean, we, um, we can't. I mean, the 1960s. What was the? It wasn't. Well, most likely we'll get to the moon, and when we get there, it'll blow up. <laughs> you know, right. like that wasn't the. It right. was. We are going to get to the moon. Right. Like we are going right. to beat the Russians. Yes. That that was always the right. that was always the push yep. and the forward thinking. My namesake is uh, <laughs> is a guy named Jackson Brown who uh, was one of the uh, love generation of the sixties and the seventies. One of the best songwriters sure. of that yeah. era, just below kind of James Taylor and Bob. Running Miller. empty, running, running on empty. Uh, you know, um, I know that's from the Forrest Gump movie. Yeah. Uh, one of the lines that has stuck with me from his songs is, uh, whatever happened to all the changes that we thought love would bring? Yeah. And that this generation, in a lot of ways, this is not a story that's told too often, but this generation feels they've been left behind too. Oh, they, yeah. The, the, because the 60s and the 70s were really about, guys, we're going to have a better future. We're going to make some changes. Right. Our, our parents have accepted that there's just going to be war. And, um, yeah. boy, they have been left behind, too, uh, and, and that's not talked about too often, but they have. that. There was a, an optimism that really did change and has changed. It, it is, uh, it, you, you and I just know this, and it's not just uh, people who are yours and my age, but if you go younger than us, those college students right now uh, would look at you and say, listen, you better dial back that optimism yeah none of us expects it to get, yeah to get better yeah yeah uh that is just where we are right yeah now. yeah so yeah I, I think it's uh you, you yeah even the, the movie like the joker you know it's almost like this 
coming out of the 70s, which was a very pessimistic time as well. Mm -hmm. Putting that character in that time period to, mm -hmm. and then presenting it to this generation, mm -hmm. it's like, let's take a pessimistic, very dark character, let's drop it in a pessimistic world, and then we're going to give it to you, the pessimistic audience. Yep. It's like this... That's the that's the market, yep. and it's like where if you have my children and trying to and trying to introduce them to optimism and, mm -hmm. and and even teach them about times of 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 history that were there was optimism yep. and positive forward thinking building and creating and 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 forming and all these different things. Um, I think that stuff that you know. Kids need to know, especially if you are Christian. I mean, we live in a, right. we believe in a, a hopeful gospel right. and a hopeful kingdom come, right? <laughs> you know, and, and like so many other things, it seems that what we have is Christian hope is where we have to start because yeah. general optimism is pretty much gone. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. and that's where we are. American dream. Yeah. That's not going to take anyone anywhere. Yep. Yeah. So, um, well, I gotta go pick up my kids. Okay. Yeah. Great. This has been Empires of the Future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this has been Jackson Van Dyke and uh, Matt Castro, and uh, we'll be back next week. Great. All right.